Hello and welcome to the next episode on the Cisco Technology Podcast. It's just me and Mark today. Yeah, it's, it's quite room now, isn't it? With just you and me. I know, it's weird, isn't it? it After is. the last one, yeah, the last couple of ones we've done where you have like, when we have guest, present, guest speakers and stuff like that. See, what we're going to do is check to see what the download rates are when it's us versus actually having special guests. I think it'll go down. You think it'll go down? Yeah, yeah. Cause it's, and the reason why it's just us today because Mark had a tanty, which is a tantrum, <laughs> and said, I want to talk about security again. And we're like, oh, webs. So, yeah. So, we, we're talking about security again today, but there is a reason behind it. And what's the reason why we're talking about security? Because it's awesome. Mm. Oh, the other reason. The other reason. The annual security report time. Yay. Does that mean we only have to do this once a year? Well, there's a mid-year security report as well. Yeah, so, yeah, because so we did the mid-year one. Because that didn't feel like a year ago. So I'm just going, so I think you just, I think you security guys just bring them out just for the sake uh, of it. Mid-year, I think, is is mid-year. Um, mid, mid-year for what, like? Well, you know, mid- academic middle, year? Of, middle of the calendar year. Well, given that we're in February and the report was out three weeks ago, beginning of the year. So annual report. Don't put the dates in because people realise how bad we are. You were just talking about the rugby, though. That was in the pre-cod podcast. podcast, podcast. Easy, that was easy, easy for, me for to say. You say. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so the annual security reports come out. Annual cybersecurity report. Annual cybersecurity report tonight, and and you're going to talk us through it and all the highlights and the most amazing bits in it as well. There are some really interesting things in it. I think. I think. Well, you gave me the executive summary to read. I did. So as, as part of our prep. <laughs> It was the most unpreppy prep that we've done, or pre- pre-production. Unpreppy prep. That we've yeah. ever done, because yeah. we just sat, well, we sat there reading the report. Reading the report. And, just, and I got a highlighter and highlighting stuff. So it's the first time we That's usually it. have a, a magic whiteboard with all the questions on there that we need to ask. And this time I got a bit of paper, so you might hear some shuffling. So if you hear some shuffling or some clicking, it's, it's us clicking through yeah, our yeah, notes. Yeah, reading, yeah, reading through our notes. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so the, the annual security reports come out, and, yep. and, and I had a read through it, and it was quite... There's stuff in there that didn't surprise me and mm. there's stuff in there that did surprise me and yep. and a couple of those things were you I mean this didn't surprise me talks about growth of mobile devices you go yeah. well yeah yep. obs you mean well yeah and, and we've known that for a long time whether it's mobile i mean the, the thing that i guess they called out so i just to sort of take it right back to basics of what the annual security report is oh sorry shall i done that then, should we tell we? people what it is um oh. no i mean basically the security report is something we've been doing for a few years and it and it picks up some of the telemetry and the data that we pick up through Talos, which we've done a podcast on. Yes. <laughs> you look confused. Uh, yeah, yeah, you talking about previous podcasts. We're talking about previous podcasts. Um, so they take up some of the telemetry data that Talos see. Um, so this is all the threat intelligence that we get from all of the products that are out there in our customers. So it's just not like a survey report that we, that like maybe it, another it, vendor would do or it, other companies would do. They'd go around and survey people going, how secure do you feel? So it's actually a bit of both. So some oh, of it is right, okay. some of it is kind of raw data based as in telemetry and the rest of it is then uh, based on an actual survey. So we survey around about 3,000 customers um, in the kind of CISO, CSO, SecOps roles. CISO? Chief Information Security Officer or CSO Chief Security Officer. Thank you. Um, so we interview those people and we just ask them a bunch of questions about how they're feeling about security, as you quite rightly pointed how out. How do you feel about how security? Do you feel about, how do you feel? <laughs> um, so they ask a bunch of questions about that, just generally. And, and of course, in of itself, it's not that interesting, but we're able to compare it to the last year's report and the year before. So you can start to pick up a bit of a trend as to... Yeah, yeah. patterns. Patterns and trends, and you can sort of see where because there are some things on. in here that that does compare, doesn't it? Yeah, because you compare to you know, there were some stats in there. I don't want to call them out because otherwise I'll end up eating into what you're going to talk about. Well, of course, yeah. and it'll be over too quickly. Um, 
so yeah but there are some things yeah. you start to notice and you do see that there is things that keep recurring and, yeah. things, and certain things have changed and even yeah. me now I've been hanging around for you for over a year now is started to uh, even I'm starting to notice patterns starting to rub off yeah oh, I hope not I but, hope it's not rubbing off on me well you know I try um, but the point you made about uh, mobile devices when you, you, you sort of introducing I think that is going to be a constant theme you know this this explosion of mobile devices uh, use of public cloud or putting data in the public cloud use of cloud more generally um, all of these things are constant concerns on the you know security officer's mind um, yeah. because they're just things that are expanding what we call the attack surface it's it's exposing the organization that was traditionally behind a barrier and and really opening themselves up but even before that barrier was even though you're all behind the barrier mm. being a firewall yeah. <laughs> perimeter perimeter security as you talk as you so taught me I mean that then there's problems were still there but they were just different problems. Yeah, different problems. And, and oftentimes, I suppose, people's barriers... Uh, people were were in firm belief that that barrier was, was there. And oftentimes it wasn't because people were using mobile devices or they were taking laptops home. So actually, the barrier was already leaky. It's even more leaky now because you've got... Um, You've got cloud apps out there. You've got yeah. mobile devices. You've got bring your own device. You've got all of this kind of stuff that we've talked about before. So, so I think the landscape that's probably no great surprise. That's something that's 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 well known. So, the, just going through the going through it now and trying to do things in a bit of order, not jump around a bit. But the one thing is obviously we talked about mobile device, and that's sort of what yeah, that's obvious, yeah. isn't it? The other thing was interesting was the, the shortage in talent. Yes, and that is is and in the news this week was around how the government are investing in cyber security training. They are investing about £20 million into um, uh, basically putting it into schools. Yeah, yeah. Like, so they talk, it's always about like 15, 16-year-olds, yeah. isn't it? And it's, it's not everybody. Nope. They said it's better starting, but it's a good start for 10. Yeah. I don't think the actual government minister said that. Was it the, the Minister for Social... DCMS, the, Department for Culture, Media and Sport. I know. It's, that's a weird one to get mixed in together, though, isn't well, it? Well, it, it is. Um, so I've, I've done a bit of work with uh, DCMS um, over some cybery bits and pieces, and they're actually working on a cybersecurity strategy for skills at the moment. So DCMS... Um, run a whole bunch of things but one of them they do have a responsibility yeah. around cyber but I wonder skills. how long it takes for them to come out though as in and, and what I mean is this ends up you train a child at the age of 15 yeah. what so we're talking maybe five years mm-hmm. I'm just I'm guessing now so say 15 they're doing the GCSEs yep. they go and do it at A level so that's two years mm-hmm. you go to university for three mm-hmm. maybe four yep. so you're talking five six years before they even get to the workplace yeah, I, and and and. Are oh, they trying to pick them up before that? Are they trying to pick them straight out of school and go right? Come and do your apprenticeship with us. Well, get your degree with us. I think thing. I think that's the one thing about about cyber as a as a as a skill set is that it, it it sort of breaks the mold. If you look at where people have picked cyber professionals from in the past, they have often gone to, you know, the highly academic. They've gone for the bachelor's, master's, PhD students, um, and in reality, actually, because you're. A, just because you've got those qualifications doesn't make you a good security professional. Oftentimes, some of the best security professionals are completely self-taught. Yeah, you know? that, that's what you, you'd look at, though, isn't it? You, yeah. you sort of the nature of cyber people today yeah. are, are people who would sit there and they just learn to code on just their learn, own. They yeah. just pick up stuff on their own. And it is one of those skills that you can just pick up. But do I need to go away and get yeah. a degree in, in, in well, it yeah. just I, to... To you prove look, that I'm good at it. That's right. You look at the cybersecurity challenge in the UK, which has been going a few years. If I remember correctly, the first, the, the whole point of the cybersecurity challenge is to try and identify those people that have an aptitude to cyber but aren't working in the industry. And I think the winner of the first challenge was a postman. 
you know, he was self-taught clearly, yeah. understood coding, was interested, had had just generally an aptitude for for yeah. it, and that was far more important. Because that's than the interesting academic. bit for me though is finding people with an aptitude for it. Because yeah. I know that I was awful at programming, right, at school, and then I'm working in an IT industry, and I've been working in IT for a long time. Mm. But I knew I knew what I was good at in the sense yeah. of I was better at the the building of networks and yeah, the design yeah. of networks and things like that and came into it that way. But did mm. I necessarily need to be a good coder for that? Yeah. No, but I think it's about it's about it's about spotting that talent at a young age. We're not yeah. we're not great, I think, and also showing kids that there's a path, there's a career path oh, there yeah, for and the I, things they're interested. Yeah, in. and it's interesting because. I, I just compare it to my, my own personal circumstance at home and I just go, well, my son's really good at playing PlayStation and there's so many kids <laughs> out there and I just yeah. through the straw poll that I do when I ever speak to anyone of my age who has children of my age, yeah. you ask them that and they go, my kids want to be a YouTuber, yeah. they wanna write, I want to I write games, I want to be a gamer mm. uh, and, and you're like, really? Mm. I think that's 90% of the children's population who are on Xbox and other PlayStations and other gaming devices yep. are all saying the same thing. Yeah. It's the bit of trying to, how do you then out of that, how do you get kids to go, I'm into coding? And I yep. think that it's, I, I really do appreciate what the government mm. do is. I, I do a lot, I yeah. think it's a great thing. I just wish it was everywhere and I'd love to be able to get my son to go, actually, yeah. what do I do? How do I get him into being a, get him into cybersecurity? Yeah, and, and there's actually, there's there's quite a few, The part of the challenge is there's almost too many different things and it's a bit discoordinated so there are uh, so tech partnership in the uk are running cyber badges so students and, and teachers can go online and earn um badges for doing little kind of online modules and they're designed for sort of key stage four key stage five that yeah that's so that's perfect range. yeah yeah so that's the same age perfect that's you know and it's teaching the basics of understanding malware understanding basic cyber skills yeah so there's a in fact maybe we should do a whole podcast on cyber skills because it is a really we could even do a area. podcast on skill digital skills in, in general digital skills because we did bump into some of the apprentices today we did uh, who gave us some tips on how to do better podcasting yeah they did from an audio perspective i think we couldn't get any better no i i, I don't think so no but i think i think the skill <laughs> i think you know it's a genuinely interesting point to uh, to try and spend some time on because um certainly in the cyber domain it's a it's a huge huge issue and and you know there's been predictions of there being a something like a million and a half shortfall in the cyber domain by 2020 um and that's a massive problem, and, and and of course contributes to more of the other issues that we then see that are highlighted in the report as well. But then, yeah, but then that that sort of leads on to underinvestment, and I know that starts to look at the that sort of comes at the end of the report. It yeah. sort of summarizes up and says talks about that, which is which is interesting. Mm. But we, we'll come on to that. So we've talked about mobile devices. We've talked about uh, the skills, skills gap, mm. and the other thing now is is the. The shifts in attack attacker behavior. So, yeah. so the, I mean, this is where you get get proper geeky because you have to know your names of your attacks, and they yeah, all got yeah, special yeah. names like neutrino, neutrino, yeah. nuclear, yeah, and angler. The angler exploit kit. There you go. So, yeah. they, they, so go and explain that because this is stuff that I generally don't know about. And and the other thing they start talking about later on is like renting stuff, and we we've covered that in the ransomware bit. We, Give me the, we do do other podcasts if you want to go back and listen to the ransomware one. It was a good one. It was a good one. Um, so exploit kits. Um, I mean, the big thing that they found in the in the report was that the, the sort of the, these big exploit kits. So so massive scale, massive coverage, um, actually pretty much died in 2016. So uh, Angler is a really interesting one. So we we through Cisco Talos um, did a big takedown of part of the Angler exploit kit, and effectively it was 
it's kind of the infrastructure that that supports a very large campaign. So it's so so, so yeah. Just so when you think about these kits or these, yeah. So these there is a a whole set of. When you say infrastructure, so there whether it be machines, where it's, yeah, where it's stage, where the malware is being served from, uh, the, so where, you're actually taking down that infrastructure itself. So it's not effect, like yeah. those kits aren't like oh, well, you know, this is old passe, this is old new now. They're going to go and do something different. It's, it's no, actually it's, it's it's the infrastructure. So 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 there's kind of two aspects to it. I mean, the the reason for some of the takedown or reason for some of the drop off is also because some of the people that were behind those big exploit kits were put in prison. Um, so that always helps. Um, so the people who are actually operating these major exploit kits um, were were no longer on the you know on the um, on the scene. Um, but the major the exploit kits are essentially just all of the infrastructure. So where the malware is served up from, um, uh, potentially Bitcoin wallets if it's serving up ransomware. Um, it's the sort of management infrastructure. So it's you know so all whole... the stuff that we did talk about. In, in, in previous podcasts yeah. but you talk about it is like an organisation they, they, yeah. they have yeah. I mean they're very well structured yeah. management interfaces how they sell it or rent it coming back yeah. to that point so in effect those major exploit kits which were serving up huge amounts of malware out to the to the public internet have have dropped off and I think the, the interesting finding is that that's allowing in a way allowing the marketplace in a, in a somewhat bizarre way you know it's it's like it's like saying three of your major technology vendors suddenly disappear from the marketplace. It allows the smaller players to come into the forefront more quickly and more so readily. Sort of dist- more becoming a lot more distributed. Absolutely. As in, you know, I can set my own. If there's a group of bad people who want to do bad things, yeah. they'll just set up their own stuff and crack on because yeah. it's sort of easier to and do. Be now. Smaller scale, yeah, because there's 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 there isn't the big dominant players in the market in a in a weird way. So you've got these smaller players being more innovative. It's really weird, but it's it's sounding like it's it's mirroring itself. If you're going to talk about the digital industry and digital yeah. digital technology and digital life full, full stop, uh-huh. and now you talk about you've got the big players like yeah. The IBMs and the Microsofts and all that sort of yeah. in the world, and, and why is it any and different? It just, yeah, and, and it's, it's an sort industry. of yeah, and then now where you talk about application guys, you can have a startup company with a good idea with some good 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 yeah. talent can crack something, crack something, uh, uh, yeah. create something, and then they'll then get the ball. But yeah. it, it's the same sort of thing. It's, same it's, 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 principles, same principles apply. These guys are out there making small exploit kits, innovating. Uh, coming up with some new and interesting ways to to compromise devices and, and earn money ultimately. Um, the marketplace is no different in this area. So, so that was a big trend that was picked up in the security report that these big, uh, very very large exploit kits that, that were out there. Of, and the one thing up. that's coming through, and we do, we do, do do we talk about this quite a lot is we we talk about all the bad things that are out there. Yeah. And the one thing we hopefully would try and do is is is, is talk about how you can do to solve. Because I find that a bit a little bit frustrating when you're talking to security people because yep. they they sound like plumbers yeah. or mechanics. Yeah, talk about. I'll tell you, tell you all the bad things. Yep. All the bad things, and they'll give you. A, then they'll send you a bill. Yeah. And, and it's trying to, and I and I think if we go back to all the things we've talked about from security and the people policy and process, and I think the thing to listeners to bear in mind is that all the things we've talked about mm. about how to protect yourself yeah. and, and educating your people and and also putting in a good robust infrastructure that's not all about perimeter mm-hmm. and being able to spot that before, during, and after mm. whichever vendor you choose. I yep. think it's still yeah. a very good. It's a good principle to to bear yep. in mind. Is those things haven't changed. No. So even though there's a lot of change in the attack vectors, no. your uh, or the things that are going out are going on out there. Mm-hmm. We're still advocating the same sort of things, principles to make sure you're, you're defending yourself. Yeah, and and I think in, almost more importantly than that is if you if you've done it right in the first place, 
because uh, there was another interesting stat that, that called out to one of the one of my big bugbears, which is this kind of security whack-a-mole. Um, uh-huh. Well, you know, the fact that oftentimes people will invest in security after they've been after they've been in. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like like you've just been broken into and now you put security camera. Uh-huh. Or now you put proper doors in windows. Yeah. In. So so it's that you know and and that. That, that's just the way it is, right? That, that's just the way that we've built security around. There's always lack of investment. Investment suddenly makes its appearance once we've been done over. And, you know, the, the, the problem is, is if you implement, if you're able to implement security properly, and, and that's hard, you know, to, to say it's really, really easy, but to do it properly, to do patch management properly, to do all the other good things properly, mm-hmm. in a way, yes, you've got sort of constant feeding, watering, and instant response, but you shouldn't have to suddenly go and buy something new. In the face of a new or changing into the point, you is, should always you should always be protected. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind like, of re-exploitation yeah, yeah. of that so investment. But think, about, you mean I'm just thinking about my home now. Mm. You think about well, at the end of the day, I want to make sure I've got a good good doors that are locked. I make sure my windows are all shut yeah. and then shut properly and locked and yeah. alarms and things like that. But yeah. at the end of the day, people will still try and break in and but will will break try to break in, but they'll break in in different ways. Some will yeah. try and go for the doors. Some will try and go for your windows. Some yeah. will try for you go for your garage. Yeah. But as long as you've got good all round security, then you should be well protected. And get a dog. Yeah, but you're protected against a level of threat. Yeah. You're not necessarily protected against somebody who's incredibly determined to get into your no, house. They're, they're, yeah, if they want to get in, they'll get in. But most people aren't really determined to get into your house, not your they're specific oppo- house. Yeah, yeah, but they're, they're opportunists, though, Correct. aren't they? And, that's what, and it's the same sort of thing, of just making sure you have robust security. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the time in, in cybersecurity, that's the same thing, is that whilst we do talk about these advanced threats and state-sponsored, most of the time it's a little bit of opportunities and people finding weaknesses and exploiting it yeah. for gain. It isn't often a really determined attack. The interesting thing was report that was about people is renting. <laughs> it's always in the news about you can't get a house anymore, you have to rent. No. And it's a housing shortage. Now there's a malware shortage and they're renting rent it. it. <laughs> I don't can. even have to be an expert in it, I'll just rent it. Yeah, but that but that that sort of plays to part of the the evolution that we've seen over the last few years, that if you roll back ten years ago, you had to be the best of the best to kind of develop your own exploits and malware and delivery mechanisms and everything else it was it was hard it was hard to do it the, the barrier to entry was was quite high or the bar bar to get to entry was quite high but now people have realized the business if 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 i annoy you either as a disgruntled employee you could go on the dark web pay a few bitcoins and rent a ddos service for a month you don't have to stage anything all you do is you hand over some bitcoins and you've got now command and control access to potentially, I don't know, half a million bots and you can go and target it, target me. Or if you want to do something more, you know, more specific and, you know, target spam campaign, you can go mm. and rent that as a service. It, it's, you know, malware as a service, mass. I don't know. Have you just made it's, that up? I, uh, prob- probably not made it up. I suspect somebody got there first, but that's oh, essentially okay. what, it, what it is. It's <laughs> as a service delivery of malware. Why wouldn't you? Again, why, why not exploit a business model that's working in our world yeah. to your own advantage so. so the other thing that's of, of um that i noticed in the report is 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 adware oh. now we we talk about malware and now we talk about adware yeah what, what is it what is that yes yeah, so adware is and has been a problem for a while i mean adware if you look at the way in which most web pages are built um they will you know certainly a lot of public web pages you tend to get a lot of pop-up ads and various other things on the page that are rendered um, all of those come from adware servers um, so they're not hosted by the popular newspaper that you might read online yeah you know, they're, mm. they're hosted through adware. and so uh, it's 
quite a while ago that, that people began to cotton on to the fact that actually if I infect the mal the adware service, then I don't have to compromise the Times website or the Daily Mail website or the Sun website. You know, I don't have to compromise their website. That can still be trusted. But if I infect the server that is serving up the advertisements that appear in those pages, mm. I could hit all three without actually having to break some really hard security. And so that kind of ad infection uh, is, is a really big problem because um, in some cases you don't have to actually bring a user to click on a link to actually get infected. They could just browse to a completely legitimate website, mm. but by virtue of the fact that this adware infrastructure has been infected, a malicious advert could just be served up through their web browser. And of course, if they've got vulnerable Flash or Java or Silverlight or one of those plugins that we know the bad guys are using on a pretty constant basis, bang, that's it. You've, you've, you've just been, you know, you've just got an infection just by browsing a completely normal website. See, that, that scares me now because any time you get Adobe advert, uh, Adobe update, you're like, oh. Well, yeah, that, that's... And every time of... you do it, they always try and make you go, please use something else as your default browser. And I'm going, I don't want to. Well, Flash has been dying for a while, let's face it. Adobe Flash has been, you know, gradually on the downgrade for probably 12, 18 months, maybe yeah. a little bit more as HTML5s come in. But, and I think even some of the browsers now will even by default block Flash unless you explicitly enable it right, because okay. it is such a... I mean, like Silverlight as well, though, because yeah, I keep doing it, and every time I try it, it keep, every time we, I see it, it keeps yeah. it, oh, you need to upgrade it, and you're yeah. like, oh. That's because it's, you know, that It's plus, that bad. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's it, kind well, of it's, it's, it's just very... It's just Yeah, it's a complex piece of software, what you what they're trying to do. Same with Flash as well. They were both really complex, but really buggy. Ah. And so, you know, again, it's something that's called out in the report is actually those vectors for infection have also been on the reduction over the last sort of 12 months oh right okay um, because those because things those aren't things... being used oh right okay um, but they are still used in pockets so again the advice is patch patch and then patch some more it basically means update when updates come out do them do them basically especially yeah. for those kind of applications okay so the other one the um, this confused me a bit go on because it goes OAuth OAuth open auth is that, so what is it? What, what what do you want about there with open auth application security? I think it's going to about, about going to the cloud or something like that. Yeah, it? so that that's so open auth is the yeah, it's essentially you know the the mechanism that so it so internally within Cisco we have a single password that allows us to access all sorts of things, but we have a single sign on server. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's using open auth. So essentially, it's is an that o- just a, is that a protocol? Is yeah, it? it's 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 I I don't know. It's considered a protocol. I suppose it's just a standard that allows you to authenticate once and that authentication server to go and tell all the other services you want to use um, that you're an authentic user without having to force you to re-authenticate. So it's it's a sort of a, a um, I'm trying to think of the best best example to give you. It's um, I suppose it's like you having your badge. You've, you've been given your Cisco ID badge and now you're trusted wherever you go because you carry that badge. It's but mm. without having to be challenged. Are you really Justin Woolen? Are you really Justin Woolen? Tell yeah. me. Yeah. So it's it's sort of that idea. So Open Auth is just you know it's the way that Facebook and Google are linking in with all their services where you can say create username and password or just use your so Google sign. But yeah, but Open Auth then is the same mechanism that Google would use yeah, yeah, to yeah. what we would use. Yes, it's an open authentication standard for that kind of um, single sign-on type. Of okay. But the, but so, the, so what's the, going on with that then? Well, the, the, well, the more interesting point that they, that's been brought out there is actually from research from the CloudLock acquisition that we made 12 months ago, eight months ago, mm, a, bit, a little yeah. while ago. Um, 
where they get obviously massive visibility of a lot of cloud-based apps in in users' environments, and I think they would there were some specific statistics in there. But what they were finding is that organizations are exposing themselves to a lot of public cloud apps that their employees are using without them necessarily knowing about it. So is that more like shadow IT? Or is it, cause yeah. the, th- the thing that comes to mind when you talk about cloud is just basically you're moving infrastructure out to the cloud because yeah. it's an easy and smart way of doing things. Totally get it. Yeah. It's a bit of then because you stick it in the cloud doesn't mean you forget about it from a security perspective. That's the that's the thing that came to my mind. And now is that right? It, it, it's, it's part of that perception, but I think it goes beyond that in that you've you've always got um, you've always got that original barrier of well, do we do we consume a cloud app? So so if you look at again what we've done internally with file sharing. So eighteen months ago we all got box accounts. We started yeah. to use started using box, but part of that was because. I was using a bit of Dropbox, you might have been using a bit of OneDrive, somebody else might have been using a bit of Google, a bit of iCloud, you know, we were all doing our own thing and there was no consistent policy. There was clearly a business need for us to use these kind of internet cloud-based data sharing, file sharing yeah. sites. So wouldn't it be good if kind of corporate IT and InfoSec came up with something that everybody could use that we yeah. could wrap up on? Again, coming that down to the user experience though, isn't it? If the, it if, the, if the user wants to use it and they're trying to use it for a business, legitimate business reason to yeah. help, then that's where technology needs to be able Absolutely. to make so, it. So the research that I think has come out and the interesting call out from the report is that organizations are being exposed to almost an ever growing number of cloud-based apps that, that InfoSec are really struggling to keep on top of. Some of them um, perfectly legitimate, good quality enterprise apps, but a lot of them actually considered to be quite risky in terms of uh, risk of data leakage, um, you know, putting, putting personal data or putting sensitive so, data in, in the cloud and things like so, this. So how, how do they solve that? Is that just going and buying a... A lot of it's just incre- increasing that visibility and applying something like the CloudLock front-end, which is um, a cloud access security broker. So it sort of almost acts as a uh, as a control between your organization and cloud-based applications to provide a degree of control and consistency in policy. So it, it's, it's the CloudLock solution is really designed to help solve that problem of mass cloud consumption and, and yeah. still then wanting to ensure and enforce some policy and visibility. So that's essentially where that fits. Lovely. Cool. So the rise of spam. Mm. All hail spam. But all but spam's spam. been but spam's been there for years. Spam has been there for years. But, but it's, at a, a, it's at a record high. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean the, the obviously through the through the Talos research we get to see large numbers of spam messages. Um and the, the research is calling out the fact that really over the last, um, I guess probably the last 12 months of, of the, the, the data being researched, we've seen a, a mass increase in spam. And the, it's interesting because in the main report, they talk about two, there's two new terms that's been coined, um, so-called hailstorm spam and uh, snowshoe spam. What? Yeah, I know, I had to reread those. So hailstorm spam, if you imagine how a lot of spam is detected out there, it's often detected through, you know, being able to track the volumes of messages being generated from certain senders. Um, but there's obviously a time for that algorithm to kick in. You know, it might take 12 hours for learning algorithms to figure out that certain source IPs yeah. are the source of spam. So if I can hit it and hit it really hard in a very, very short space of time, then I get my end result, which is lots of messages to be generated, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of messages being generated, maybe in a 12-hour period. But I don't. I do it in such a short space of time that actually the detection mechanisms haven't caught up. Right. Okay. Yeah. So you don't trigger. Yeah, yeah. You don't trigger the. You know. Well, you trigger the alarm, but it, they're exploiting. It's a bit the like, it's more brute force then, doesn't it? It is. It is. But you're, you're exploiting the fact that actually a lot of the detection techniques rely upon that 
very small window, but still a window nonetheless that needs to be trained to new to determine. Then you've got the, the snowshoe ones, which is sort of the opposite, which is the low and slow. It's the, I'm going to send enough messages just to fly under the radar of a lot of these detection mechanisms yeah. that are looking at volume-based spam. So. And then the things that there's still the targeted one where they're actually definitely going after you where they're, they're yeah. trying to... And, and, and we see that, and I've seen a lot of them for, for like Apple. I've yeah. had Amazon. Yeah. I've had... And, and you sort of see the subtle changes in it. But the bit yeah. I always do is going, was I expecting one of those emails? Yeah. No. Delete it. Yeah, and when yeah. he goes, oh, you're, oh, you need to update us on your payment. You just go, no, we don't. No, Thank no, you very you're, much. You're a bad person. Yeah, but they, but they still work, and they still are an effective means of getting infections into organisations. So, um, again, whilst they still work, people will still use them. Dominic, there you go. So spam's on the rise. Um, you know, again, the key thing is that it will. Depending upon how good your filtering is, it might still creep through. So again, importance of it, the user awareness, and, people policy and process. Absolutely, it all starts with the person. It does. Good. Um, defenders are overwhelmed. Defenders are overwhelmed. As in time, money, resource. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and I think that manifests in the report around the, um, the number of incidents that are never investigated. So this was based on respondent surveys. Because you're just saying that the, the things when you called out, it said 35% of it, the challenges are, are the constraints of budget. Oh, okay. And, yeah. and then it got, talks about compatibility, which is interesting because mm-hmm. that's basically where you're looking at integrated yeah. integrated yeah. security solutions that things that can talk to each other yeah, and not yeah, just yeah. have that. Because yeah. we yeah. have the... Um, PX grid. PX grid, yeah. isn't it? So, yeah. Yeah. And if we, if we have vendors that are all member of that, then because we're happy to share that stuff. Yeah, you can share uh, intel uh, between them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and speak to each other and yeah. actually have more of a coordinated defence than yeah. a... Multi-vendor. Just lots of stovepipes that are working in isolation. Yeah. yeah, and some of that comes out, you know, we've been talking uh, sort of strategically for a while about the number of vendors that people have in their security portfolio. You know, often people will standardize in a switching or a WAN or a uh, that kind of area, but actually security still drives this best-of-breed mentality. And so, you know, the survey captures some of that data quite, in, you know, in quite an interesting way where they say that something like over 50% of respondents have more than five different vendors security technologies in their environment um you know and actually there's still albeit single digits but four five six percent of respondents have over 50 different vendors of security technology that's hard though and it's hard to manage it because you know we know as we are a vendor out there and when we go and see customers we know we're just one of them vendors that they may be looking at for a technology and and it's hard enough for us to differentiate ourselves imagine you being the customer yeah in, in, in there she's going right I've got five different vendors coming to me to talk about the, how they all solve this their, yeah. their problem in this problem that I have in the best kind of way and you're like going oh yeah and and, and like you say you just end up with that issue of compatibility which is called out in the report you end up with issues of well how do I actually deliver my kind of investigation workflow across those five different vendors with maybe five different graphical user interfaces or so that must be really challenging though because when you're trying to if you talk about before, during, and after, mm. and even on a, and on after, and you're mm. trying to do the forensic side of it, yeah. it can take ages. It, yeah, and it and it will be it will be aggravated by the fact that you've potentially got some very disparate different technologies. Now, you know, you've got to be sensible about the way in which some of that plays out, because of course you you could be talking in terms of vendors of I don't know your two factor authentication service or your desktop antivirus. You know, they're all different vendors. Um, I suppose from our view, it tends to be sort of more of the network space, you know, whether it's yeah. files, IPSs and, and VPN technologies and things. But that vendor space does span the much broader, 
yeah. uh, the, the broader spectrum. But even still, you know, with with fifty different vendors in that, but a lot of that has come probably from organic growth. It's probably come from a bit of whack a mole in the sense of right, we've got a security problem. Guacamole. Guacamole. Yeah, it's really it's really good. What are you on about now? I'm what's, I'm what's, really hungry. What's guacamole? Um, who knows? Who knows? Um, what were we talking about? Whack-a-mole. What's whack-a-mole? Whack a mole? What's whack a mole? Guacamole. Did, did you never go to the Did you never go to the arcade as a kid? No. Yes. Yeah. I played Pac-Man. Did you never play? Leaders. Did you never play whack a mole? Where the little oh, things. Oh, whack a mole. Yeah. What do you think I'm saying? <laughs> guacamole. Guacamole. <laughs> what do you think I keep saying it at you for? <laughs> Nothing to do with it. Why do you keep saying guacamole? Whack a mole. Whack a mole. Whack a mole. Whack a mole. So it's, security whack a mole. It's your dodgy Lincolnshire accent. It is my dodgy Lincolnshire accent. I thought I'd hidden that well. Yeah. Um, so you know, when a security problem comes up, you buy a box. You know, have a problem, buy a box. And with fifty vendors, you can kind of only imagine that that's sort of the way that they've approached yeah. their security program, really. Okay. Um, so, and then I think the other thing that might be on your little page there that you're looking at um, is around. You could have printed one off as well. I I know, but it's all in the head. It's all in the head. It'll be gone by tomorrow. Um, is around the number of threats or, or, or incidents that are investigated. Um, so there's some interesting stats that we've called out around the fact that um, something like 60% or nearly 60% of incidents that customers are having are never actually investigated. And again, plays yeah. to that whole point of, well, why is that? Is that lack of resource, lack of skills, lack of skilled people? Well, the other thing it calls out is, is, is ta- it does talk about talent and yeah. also certification. So I'm going, is that talent certification or is that product certification? No, I think that's probably more down to product certification, okay. but you don't want to ask me about that. Oh. No. Sorry. That's, that's, <laughs> I should groan in such a way. So we've done, we've done that. Um, it's like we've got a proper script and everything. It's really, it does. It's, it's weird really, having a script. It's, really it's not a script. It's just basically the report you gave and I just highlight the bits there I think go, yeah. I find more interesting. Yeah. That's pretty much it, really. But... Um, but you I mean it, this is sort of coming into a bit of a common thread through this report for me, and it is that impact on organisations, yeah. um, and the talent that's needed, money that's needed, cooperation between vendors is needed, yeah. most probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because as a customer, you just got right. Okay, I'm underinvested. I haven't got enough talent, which we talked about right as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, vectors are changing because they're just becoming a lot more agile. Yeah. Like we're talking about today, be trying to make a- applications are agile and yeah. things like that, and, we're t- and, the- and they're doing the same thing. Mm. But it's it's more organisations are seeing more breaches. Yeah. And the lo- and, and experiencing losses from breaches. Yeah. And the challenge on that of of loss of money. Yep. Time productivity. And it seems to be um, the challenge around public scrutiny, though, as well, about people are being held up for... Held to account for because, and, and And that, is that in the European law it's coming or something like that, where if you get breached, mm. you ha- you've got so many days to tell to report it yeah so so the so what you're talking about is the eu's general data protection regulation the yeah. G, so-called gdpr uh, but that's the regulations coming in but it just seems that the report's yeah. backing up that up in the sense of well in the sense of the amount of organizations that are being experienced I, th- I, I think i think it's just that kind of shift that you know if you look at some of the major breaches that have happened of late um uh, you look at Talk Talk, you know, and, and, and they're a public example, so which is why I'd use them. But, you know, they were very quick to actually identify to customers that they had been breached and that customer data may have been 
Because that's about protecting their brand, isn't it, as well? Of course it is, it? yeah. And it's a really difficult one, isn't it? As, you, as a very large company, the last thing you want to do is go out to the marketplace and say, yeah, no, sorry, we might have lost about half a million customer records because you know, that will have an impact. That has an impact on your brand or you know, potentially has an impact on bottom line. And so, um, but by the same token, if you keep it quiet, then that can have us, you know, people will find out. You know, we're in yeah. a highly connected world. Somebody will find out. Somebody will whistleblow. Uh, it will come out some way. And, and the last thing you want to be is, you know, worse than standing up and admitting you've had a breach is actually um, being the one that's caught out. And it's saying that, you mean, 45% of uh, outages that are caused by a breach mm-hmm. last for um, one to eight hours. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, a, so basically you've written off a day. Yeah. Absolutely, or potentially, you've written off a day because of a because of a, a security breach. And again, this is something that, as another book, bear in mind in terms of, you know, availability impacts. Often, people really obsess about confidentiality and integrity breaches, mm. um, but often forget and miss the fact that actually an availability breach can have as big an impact, if not a bigger impact, in some circumstances. You know, if you think of a trading floor being out for eight hours. Yeah, um, but even even yeah, but you talk about a hospital. Well, yeah, I, I talk absolutely. about a school. Yeah, you talk about anything that's down for it. Imagine just saying, right, okay, yeah. turn your no laptop IT off. For eight hours. No IT for eight hours. Yeah, I'd sleep. I know it'd be awesome. I just get my head down. <laughs> yeah. Oh. yeah, there would be some people out there thinking, God, that would be fantastic. Eight hours. Eight hours. I, it's, yeah. it's like yeah, but it's like though when we have snow days. Yeah. As in, so when there's weather and kids can't go to school, yeah. my wife can't go to work. I get stuck at home, but because the internet still working and yeah. the IT infrastructure is also working, yeah. we have to work because we just work from home, don't we? Yeah, we just yeah, carry absolutely. On. That's yeah. just so unfair. It, it is. I'm just putting that out there. That's, that's not fair. That's I, want, I think we should have virtual snow days, as in when you have a, because that's what security is—is is a virtual snow day. Yeah, it's a virtual snow. So we want more of those, is what you're saying? Well, it'd be nice to have the day. But yeah, but when the kids are all off having fun, making snowmen, and they and then yes. all the other parents are out because they couldn't get to work because they've had half an inch of snow. Yeah, and they don't have the IT that we do. Yeah. 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 Anyway, no. Think- so so yeah, I mean outages. The again, I think the important point is that you know this, the, the percentages are always going to be interesting to read through. But I think the overriding importance is that there is real measurable impact, and people are beginning to. I suppose get more comfortable sharing that, you know, because they have to get ahead of some of these things. But the other thing as well, though, is, is if you're a if you're in IT mm. and you're trying to go for budget, or you're yeah. trying to get budget to try and help, mm-hmm. and that, and that leads on to the next point yeah. I'm going to talk about is you have to put evidence in front yeah. of people and in front of the the CIO, the, ex, the board, the, yeah. the, board, the mm-hmm. CFO, and uh, this is the impact to our brand. Mm-hmm. This is the impact to, on money. Yep. This is lost productivity. Yep. These are all the things that we've managed uh, that has happened because of it. So I think it's, it's, it's really interesting. Yeah, and, and I think that plays to another point that I tend to wax lyrical Ugh. about, which is that these cyber is a boardroom issue, you know, and it's said time and time and time again that cyber is a boardroom issue, but all of those things are boardroom discussions. You know, brand, financial uh, yeah. stability of the organisation, potential intellectual property. These are not things that stop a, a CTO or a CIO. These are board level issues. Yeah, CEOs will, will be very because who, who's, who's the one who's going to? You're not going to wheel out your IT director no, or your not. CIO. You be the, the CEO will be wheeled out in front of the in front a- of the, the press yeah. or, or in front of shareholders to say. Yeah. This was happening, and I think that level of, and that leads to the next thing of that level of scrutiny that's mm-hmm. coming into security now, yeah. is providing a bit of a silver lining yeah. for this because of that increased security means increased funding or yeah. increased awareness, increased visibility yeah. at board level yeah. to be able to go. Actually, we need to invest in this. Yeah, and 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 it's 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 
a long time coming and I think we're still a long way from where we need to be in terms of getting that level of continual executive investment I think that the, 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 I don't know maybe I'm a bit cynical but but you know cyber is top of mind for a lot of people at the moment it's always top of your mind because that's well, all you think yeah, about yeah it is well it's not all I think about I do think about other things every now and again um, but but cyber's top of mind for you know it's in the press all the time there's there's certainly a lot at the moment because the UK government are talking about it with the launch of the National Cyber Security Centre which is um, being officially opened in the next couple of weeks, I think, uh, by the Queen, I believe. Oh, wow. Um, so there's a lot of press at the moment. Uh, the, the chief executive there, uh, Kieran Martin, has been in the press. He was in the press at the weekend talking about the level of threat um, that's happening. So it is top of mind for a lot of people. The, the difficulty is how do you keep it there? Um, you know, how do you sustain that? How do you stop I mean, it the, just the, being the a media flash in the media a real pan? big help in that, though, at the moment? Because of the, it's, 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 it's top of mind. And I think what's going on in America and what's mm-hmm. going on in... In uh, around the world with the elections and, yep. and things like that, of how cyber criminals are becoming it's, t- it, it, yeah. headline news because of how they it's been perceived by the media that they're influencing things, or they can go and I, we can influence them by we're going to go and hack yeah. very yeah. targeted people, influence, influence an election, influence a, influence a whole host of things through through that medium. So so I think the press is helping. I think the press sometimes doesn't help in the way that it's sometimes a bit overblown. Um, you know, I think there's always that balancing act between overselling the level of threat is in, you know, there's, you know... But then we do the same as well. well of course we so, Yeah, because, because the whole point of the security report is is to highlight to customers that these are these evidence yeah. and here's some statistical reporting yeah, 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 yeah. on why security is yeah. important and yeah. these are the things you need to... And it is, it's great because it's it's done very, very agnostically. It doesn't sit there and go, and this is what you need from no, Cisco. No, no. It's no. about... But, and yeah. I think that's the great... The, the way you talk about security is very agnostic. Mm. Um, and being a, and that's what this report is about. But then you mean the press are doing it, but we're doing it in more of a, well, here's more statistical yeah. evidence yeah. based on the stuff that we know because there's nobody who's going to know it better than no. a security vendor no. maybe like ourselves no because we've got we've got the telemetry data there I mean go and listen to the Talos podcast um, there are other podcasts out there yes all from us obviously yeah but ours is still better well of course um, but the Talos podcast I think clears you know clearly highlights some of the data that we've got that allay- enables us to make those make those assertions and make those statements you know we're yeah. actually building it on it's based on real credible evidence and i don't think that's key so so no i think i think the, the the scrutiny with which this is starting to come under is good i think there's with the, some of the legislation that's coming down the road certainly in the general data protection regulation around personal data um is definitely going to get people to sit up and listen what i hope doesn't happen though is that people use it as a as a compliance bar you know, often, yeah, you know, but that's people... the biggest challenge. Though, when we see that in public sector, it's about yep. compliance. What's, Tick the box. My, what's the minimum thing that I can do so yep. I can feel that I've de-risked it? Somebody Correct. else has taken responsibility or signed yeah, the yeah, thing yeah. that I've done yep. to say that I'm all right. I've done my job now. I've done my job. So if something happens, I go, well, yeah, ooh. yeah, I did my job to this level. But yeah. and I think that that's that's going to be the real the real trick over the next few years is trying to make sure that people see things like GDPR and some of the other regulation not as a race to the bottom, but a way of saying, actually, this is a really good thing. We can build a proper, well-funded, well-staffed, well-resourced program around that that transcends just that specific issue. Yeah. So I think that that's a, that's a good outcome to, to try and aim for, but time will tell whether we get to that point. There we go. That's it. Is that it? We're done. That's it. We've done all our points. And we've, we've been rattling on for a fair way. We've, well, we've that's all right. right. It's all right. That's all but, right. Uh, there you go, everybody. That's another... security report. Download it cisco.com slash go slash security um 
and uh, enjoy the read. It's a long read. Do th- it is a long read. That's why you do the podcast instead. <laughs> and, and then just go and download the report and find the bits you're interested in. <laughs> yeah, no, it is, it is a good read, uh, but it's, uh, it's well worth it. There's some good touch points in there that can also help you build your case to your board members to uh, help highlight some of the reasons why they should invest more in security. Oh, there you go. Wonderful. Cheers, Mark. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, if you want to contact the podcast, you can uh, tweet us at, uh, at Justin Woolen or email me at justin.woolen at Cisco. Like I said before, we had some some uh, people have contacted the podcast. So if you've got anything you want to contact us about, any subjects, anything like that, please, it makes our day. You really don't know how much you it makes our really day. really don't know how much it makes our day. And you will get a shout out on Twitter if you do it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we um, should just shout it out another one today. We need some giveaways like pens or something. Can we do that? Should we get some podcast pens? We have the need <gasps> you have to go to marketing and ask for the money get again. We some podcast pens. Podcast pens. How yeah. many P words can you get into to try and make it sound bad on the, on the recording? That's a great. Well, we've got the spit guards now. Oh, yeah, we've so. got spit guards. I don't think they call spit guards. I don't know what they're called. They're things that make us hopefully sound better on the yeah, podcast. Anyway, we're. Podcast pens. We're, we're, podcast pens okay. <laughs> See you next time. See you next time.